Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? That's awesome. Exciting, exciting morning here at Veritas. Obviously, uh, baptisms is going on. We have, we're wrapping up our Revelation series, which some of you are like, wow, that's great, you know, but, but we are getting into it with our last Revelation uh, passage today. And we've been going through this for the last 14 weeks. This is week 15 of our Revelation series. And to be honest with you guys, like I've left here on Sunday mornings feeling a little bit like anxious and like, oh, I don't, what in the world, what just happened? You know, like so confused about so many things. And, and through this whole thing, we've gone through judgments and visions and beasts and more judgments and thrones and the Antichrist, the end of times, heaven, hell, the new heaven and hell, uh, and, or the new heaven and earth in many weeks. I, I, like I said, I've left Sunday just kind of like anxious, kind of worried even. But I am continue to be reminded who this was written to and why it was written, the book of Revelation. We've said it a lot in the last 14 weeks and now 15 weeks going through this. That we've said, hey, it was written to believers of Jesus. It was written to believers of Jesus, the church. And it was written to them uh, who were being persecuted and killed because of their faith in Jesus. That's who it was being written to. And John was also being persecuted. He was on the island of Patmos and he was exiled there for preaching the gospel. He was exiled there and he's... Telling, he sees this vision from God. He gets this vision, and he's supposed to tell the church so they will be encouraged. So they will be encouraged. Revelation was not written. Uh, it was not written to read on the corner of a busy street uh, to, to frighten people. It wasn't intended to, for us to read aloud to our unsaved family, friends, coworkers, so they would be scared into coming to Jesus, to salvation, No, it was written to remind believers that no matter what you endure, no matter what happens in this life, that evil will be conquered. God wins and Jesus reigns. And now we get this last portion of this book. This last portion where it's wrapping up and giving us kind of a bookend, a resolution, and we're being told to wait. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't know if you guys have ever had to wait for something, right? I've actually been just waiting for this Sunday just to get here. Uh, sometimes I'm not excited about it. Other times I'm really excited about it. It's the end of the school year. We got just a few weeks left. Maybe if you're a student, you're like, oh man, I'm so excited. I can't wait until school is out. Uh, me and my wife, we just celebrated our fourth child uh, being born just a few weeks ago, uh, baby Vivian, first girl, can't believe it happened, but we got her and she's amazing, but we were, I mean, we were so excited just waiting and waiting. Maybe my wife was a little more uncomfortably waiting, uh, for that. She's just like, when will this come? Like, hurry up. And we get super excited about the, some things that we wait for. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been eagerly and just really excited about a vacation that's coming up and and even as a kid even now like I don't sleep the night before a vacation 
Like, I'm so excited. Like, I'll go to bed at 3, wake up at 6. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. You know? And, and I get so excited, so excited about this vacation coming. Maybe you even thought that about this Revelation series. You're like, I'm, I'm really excited about this ending. You know, like, this is really convicting. This is really weird. And in all those cases, in most of those cases, I should, I should say, we are usually excited and sometimes have a hard time containing our joy leading up to those times. So we take a look at John, Revelation 22. And we get to that bookend, that resolution. And we get to see what he's trying to tell us. What God is trying to tell us at the end here. So let's take a look at Revelation 22, starting in verse 6. All right, and we're going to walk through this verse by verse. And, and this isn't just explaining what's going on. We want to be able to say, hey, this is, what, this is what was happening. This is what John is saying. And we really want to look at, okay, what does that mean today? What does that mean May 2023 here in Urbana, here on the northern East Iowa? What does it mean for us today? Let's start. Revelation 22, starting in verse 6. It says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So we first see an angel coming to John coming to John, and he's saying, hey, guess what? These words that we are talking about, they are trustworthy and true. And this is coming directly out of talking about the new heaven, the new earth, uh, the new Jerusalem, like Michael wrapped up last week. Good news. Really good news. And the angel reminds John, he reminds us all, hey, by the way, these words are trustworthy and they're true. And what is being revealed is soon going to take place. And Jesus speaks in verse 7. And we see him say, Yes, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. And this is a direct kind of correlation with Revelation 1 to Revelation 22. Revelation 1, 1 through 3, it's pretty much summing up, and it's saying, Hey, by the way, the things I said and I wrote down in Revelation 1, those same things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say in Revelation 22. I'm trying to remind you guys, before I start this and at the end of when I start this, that, hey, this is from God. This is trustworthy and true. You don't have to turn there, but Revelation 1, let me just read some of it. Revelation 1, in verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to... Show his servants the things that must soon take place. Hey, there's verse 6. He made it known by sending his angel. 
Verse 6 again. To his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. There's verse 7. For the time is near. That's 6 and verse 10. So he's pretty much saying Revelation 1 is correlating to Revelation 22. Pretty much saying, hey, once again, pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. And this is trustworthy. This is true. And three times in this short span, these short three to four verses, we're being told one thing specifically. We're being told, keep these words. Keep these words. In verse 6, the angel states, These words are trustworthy and true. In verse 7, Jesus says, Hey, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. And in verse 9, the angel insists that, that he serves with those who keep the words of this book. So why, why do we keep the words? Why do we keep these words? Verse 7, he is coming soon. That's why we keep these words. And, and I'm not just talking about, hey, you should keep these words. Like, hey, read them aloud, okay? Like, every morning, open it up and just read it. Or, hey, if you got a little pocket Bible, you know, slip it in your back pocket and, hey, keep them with you, all right? You know, it's not, it's not talking about that per se, even though my son will, like, carry around his little pocket Bible and, we, and he lost it, of course. And uh, so he's just like, I don't know where to... Anyways, not the point. Um, it's not talking about that, putting the Bible in your back pocket, keeping this word. It's saying, hey, act upon it. Don't just read it, but act upon it. Keep these words. Why do we keep these words? Because he's coming. He's coming. And we keep these words. And what happens when we keep these words? We worship God. We end up worshiping God. Throughout all these things, we end up worshiping God. Keep these words, because he's coming soon. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, Revelation 22, verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, uh, for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. That the one who desires to take the water of life without price. So a lot to unpack there in those eight verses. A lot to unpack, but we pretty much see, starting at the top, he's saying, hey, don't seal these words. Don't seal, don't seal this book. 
And that is actually a complete opposite of what Daniel heard in the Old Testament. Daniel had, had visions and had uh, end time visions there. And, and, and he was told, hey, don't, hey, seal it. Seal the words that I'm telling you. Daniel, Daniel 12, 4 says, shut the words and seal the book until the time is near. But here we are in Revelation 22. Don't seal the words. Don't seal the book. Because the time is near. The time is here. It is very, very near. And I'll be honest with you guys. When I read verse 11, after hearing that, I, I got a little... It was hard. Isn't that a hard verse to read? It says, it says once again, it says, And let the evil... Let the evildoer still do evil. The filthy still be filthy. That's a hard verse because it's pretty much saying, hey, evil is going to continue. Evil is going to continue. It's going to continue to grow. And not to say we can't be a part of the solution, but, but John, Jesus, they are trying to tell us in this that no matter what happens... In this world, evil is going to continue to happen. But there's a call for believers. Righteous will continue to be righteous. The holy will continue to be holy. They will continue to do these things. And why should we do what's right and holy? Once again, verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. Jesus is coming And not only is Jesus coming, but he is going to repay those. He is going to repay those who are filthy and evil. He is going to even give reward to those that are holy and those that are righteous. He's coming soon. And he is coming soon. And in, in verse 14, when it says, hey, I'm washing these robes, he's not talking about laundry. He's not talking about, hey, listen, when you do laundry, make sure and pre you know, you got to do like the pre-cycle, you know, and soak it for a little bit. And that's fine. Use some chlorine or use the Tide Pods, but don't eat them, whatever the case is, okay? He's not giving a scenario of, of how to do laundry. He's going there and saying, hey, you need to... Uh, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes because guess what? Those who wash their robes, that only happens when they put their faith in Jesus. That only happens when we trust in Jesus. His death, his resurrection is what makes uh, our robes white. And the tree of life is a part of the reward. The tree of life is part of the word, and, but, but at the same token, the ones outside, those are the dogs, the sorcerers, the evildoers, the filthy, the murderers, the idolaters. And he's asking himself, hey, where do you fall? Where do you fall? Just like he is the Alpha and the Omega, he reminds us again. He reminds us again, hey, I am the Messiah. I am Jesus, the one that was prophesied. And this is proven because he is the root 
prophesied in Isaiah 11.1. He is the descendant, the offspring of David, which was prophesied in Numbers 24.17. He is God. And here's the crazy part. He is the lion and he's the lamb. He is slain and he is risen. He is the conqueror and he is the peacemaker. He is reigning and he is returning. He is servant and he's also king. Creator and consummator. He is Lord. And how do we react to this proclamation? Verse 17, we see the Spirit. And this is Spirit with a capital S, if you noticed. Capital S, meaning it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the Bride, which is the church, that's us. And what do they say? How do you react and how do the Spirit and the Bride react and respond to the announcement that Jesus is coming? With eager longing that He indeed should come. Come. And the one who hears, come. Are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. Do you want the water of life? Come to Jesus. I'm not talking about this water. Don't drink that, all right? I'm talking about the water that quenches all of our thirst that Jesus talks about to the woman at the well. That is the living water that is talking about here. Come to Jesus. No matter what is thrown at you, what trials you go through, what joys you go through, what frustrations or even what doubts, Jesus is coming and the living water can only be obtained through the blood of Jesus. Don't seal these words because he's coming. Okay, let's keep going, okay? We're almost there. Verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hey, don't. Don't, don't add or subtract to what's going on here. Now, this isn't talking about like the James 3, 1, which is kind of scary talking about the false teachers and that they're going to face stricter judgment. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about adding or subtracting to the word. And teaching is not adding or taking away from the words. It's, it only becomes adding or taking away when one alters the message to suit one's own end. And why should we not take away or add to the book? Surely I am coming soon. Verse 20. I am coming soon. And we see, we see a similarity here where verses 6 through 9 says, keep these words. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. Verses 10 through 17. Don't seal these words. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. Verses 18 through 20, don't add or take away from this book. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. After every command, we see a motivation and reminder 
that Jesus is coming. But I, I don't know about you guys. Do you, do you really think that, though? Like, do you really believe that? Like, isn't that hard to kind of comprehend and be like, is he really, though, Jess? Like, is he really? I don't know, maybe your skepticism starts to kick in, and you're like, I, I just don't know about this. I don't know about this. I mean, this was written in what, 80, 90 A.D., right? We're in 2023. What's the wait? I don't know what soon means. That's not soon in my book, all right? When my parents told me that we were going to leave church, and, they, and I said, when are we leaving church? And they say, soon. That didn't mean soon either, okay? That meant I'm going to talk to 20 more people, and we're going to lock the church up. So literally we go through this and he's saying, hey, soon. And you're just kind of like, yeah, really? Soon? So much for that. And that's why I'm thankful for Second Peter 3. Second Peter 3 was a great reminder that was brought to me. And I'm like, wow. And, and we don't have time to read through the whole thing, but it's 2 Peter 3. 1 through 12. And I'm just going to read just, um, or 3 through 12. And it's, I'm just going to just read just a little bit of it here. And this is what it says. In verse 3 it says, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Hey, that's pretty, of course they are. You know, if they're scoffers, they're going to scoff, okay? Um, I just love how that, yeah, it's good. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're pretty much mocking God. These scoffers are mocking. Uh, hey, yeah, guess what? You've been saying that for a while. That's really not going to happen. They're mocking. And I love the response in verse 9. It says, but the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Why? He is patient. He is patient. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He has a reason for the day of Jesus' return. And it will surprise all of us. If you've ever heard somebody say, yeah, it's coming this time. Okay. It's going to come like a thief. Come like a thief. And it says, he is slow He's not slow to fulfill his promise. And he is patient because why? He wants to see others come to repentance. What a graceful God. What a patient God to do that. So I guess the question is, so what are you doing in the meantime? How are you going to live? Is the imminence of Christ's return affecting the way you live. If you guys have been around me for 
any sort of time, you've probably heard me talk about one of the most influential uh, person and men in my life, my Grandpa Harvey. And I love my Grandpa Harvey. I loved my Grandpa Harvey. Uh, so much that we actually named our first son Harvey. And my Grandpa Harvey was a different breed of a man. All right? He, was a, he worked for the railroad. Uh, my Grandma Lois was a nurse. And man, I tell you, they knew the Bible. My Grandpa Harvey specifically knew the Bible better than anyone else that I've encountered. It seemed like every time he would give me advice, I'd be like, that's really good. Where'd you get that from? He's like, the, the word, the Bible. He would just constantly quote it. And he loved Jesus. And I remember my grandma and grandpa even praying, sitting at their dinner table, come Lord Jesus. And guess what? They lived differently because of it. My grandpa worked for the railroad. Grandma was a nurse. After they retired, they decided that they weren't going to go sit on a beach and sip on my ties or whatever, right? They said, no, 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 we're going to be missionaries. So after they retired, they packed their bags and they moved to Ireland where they started the first Awana ministry in Ireland. Awana is a great, there's still a lot of Awana ministries going on now, but they started the first one in Ireland. They were gone for about a year, a little over a year. And then they came back, a couple that they were supporting and that our church was supporting was missionaries in the Virgin Islands. And they said, hey, you should come do that here too. So they packed their bags and went to the Virgin Islands and started an Awana ministry in the Virgin Islands. So if you go to Ireland or the Virgin Islands, even today, if there's an Awana ministry, my grandparents were the start of that. And they said, no, 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 we might retire from our jobs, but we never retire from spreading the word of Jesus. We might retire from our jobs, but guess what? Jesus is coming soon and we're going to live differently because of it. As a matter of fact, my grandparents, uh, my grandpa Harvey specifically, actually frustrated quite a few of their children uh, in the making. Because every time, you know, my parents or my aunts and uncles would be like, hey, we need to talk about, you know, when you guys die and stuff like that, you know, having those talks. And my grandpa and grandpa, they were just like, we don't got to worry about that. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. Like, they would say that. I remember them saying that. Oh, we don't got to worry about that. No, I'm not saying that's, that was, that's what you should do. I mean, it obviously says in the Bible, too, that, hey, don't be a burden. But, so, but they believe so intently that Jesus was returning, and they lived differently because of it. They didn't just say it. They lived it out. And I remember, like I said, sitting around, and they're just praying, hey, come. Come, Jesus. Please come. We need you. We need you to come. Come, Lord Jesus. And, and I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but if, have you ever prayed that before? Have you ever prayed that? Because John does. He hears that Jesus is coming soon, and he says, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. Do we think and if, do we pray for his return, though? Do we pray for it daily? Now, I think it's really easy to pray, come Lord Jesus, and I've prayed that before, but it's usually done in really difficult times. It usually done, it's done in desperation moments. We say, man, 
uh, man, I'm going through this difficult time. God, I just lost my job. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, my marriage is falling apart, and actually I think it's over. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, why has this sickness and death come into our life again? Come, Lord Jesus. See, it's easy to pray, come, Lord Jesus, in those difficult times. But are we praying for it in the the good times, the other times? Man, God, I'm just about to graduate and move out of my parents' house. Hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus. No, like, come, Lord Jesus, then. Hey, we just paid off all our debt, and now we get to go on more vacations. Come, Lord Jesus. I just married the love of my life, and we are so excited to start a family. Come, Lord Jesus. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what trial you're going through, no matter what joy you're encountering, our prayer should be, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Here's the thing I want you guys to take away for today. This is our big idea, which is eagerly await his return by living for what matters. Eagerly await his return by living for what matters. Hey, I'm longing. I'm yearning. I'm wishing. I'm hoping. Maybe I'm even restless waiting for his return. And if we truly are eagerly awaiting his return, we will live differently. We will start to live life with a capital L. I got that from our pastor out in Colorado, one of our pastors. He talked about that a lot. Even wrote a book called Life with a Capital L. Pretty much trying to relate, hey, there's a way to live your life, lowercase l, compared to life with the uppercase l. Not living for your job, Not living for fame or sports or retirement, but living a life dedicated to Jesus. Living to glorify Jesus in your marriage. Living to glorify Jesus in how you parent. Living to glorify Jesus in how you spend your money. Living to glorify Jesus in how you work and your job. Living for what really matters, which is glorifying God and God alone. That's living life with that capital L. Living differently. A quote that I've, I heard many uh, years ago that, that Francis Chan actually spoke. He says, most Christians today are weird in areas they should be normal. And normal in areas they should be weird. Isn't that the truth? We blend in so easily to this world. And we blend in in the wrong areas. And we're normal in areas we should be weird. We need to look differently. We need to act differently. Because he is returning. As John ends this letter... As he ends this letter, we see what we need so we can live, capital L, live, for what matters. This is our last verse of Revelation 22. And he says, The grace of the Lord 
Jesus be with all. Amen. We need the grace of Jesus. He was faithful to death. And God raised him from the dead. And we must follow him in faithfulness. And we need his grace to do so. We need his grace to live differently, to live faithfully, to live on mission. One of my uh, favorite letters that I came across about 10 to 12 years ago uh, was written by a pastor in Zimbabwe. And this pastor in Zimbabwe was, the heat was turning up for him. He was being told not to preach the gospel. He was saying, nope. They were saying, don't do that. Don't preach about Jesus. Heat was turning up. And he lost his life because of it. After he was martyred, they went through his desk. And they found his journal where there was a letter. I I would actually call it even a poem. And this is what it read. Let me read this to you. Probably just days or weeks before he was murdered, this is what he wrote down. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. And the die has been cast. And I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. And I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean in his presence. I walk by patience. I am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander in the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. And I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all I know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear. That is how we live differently. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 4 where Paul is writing to Timothy while he's in prison. And he says, hey, hey, Timothy, guess what? I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've fought that fight. I've, 
I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. And not just to me, but for all of those who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Are you eager for his return? Are you going to disregard or forget what Jesus, that Jesus is returning and live for what 2 Corinthians 4 calls is, hey, it's, it's fading away. It's transient. Or are you going to pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And eagerly await his return by living for, for what matters. Eagerly await his return for living what matters. What are you going to do? Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve ourselves? Or are we going to serve God? Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. God, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. We need you. God, I pray that we can live lives differently because of the fact that Jesus is returning. The fact that he rose from the grave, that he is risen, that he was resurrected is proof that he will return one day. God, thank you for that reminder. God, thank you for this book to not just be read, but God, to be read and be encouraged that no matter what, no matter what circumstances, no matter what frustrations, no matter what's going on, you reign and Jesus will return. We love you. We thank you in all these things. Amen.